Go ahead and read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. I'll let the Spirit move on your heart what He has for you tonight. But in a great house, Paul says to Timothy, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, for your blessings, your provision, Father. I thank you for the plan that you have for each one of your children, and that includes each one present here tonight, Father. Uh, Certainly, the entire body of Christ has a purpose. Help us to find our individual places in that purpose, Lord, and be satisfied with it and joyful in it, knowing that the Almighty has provided for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have done so. Bless this word to us tonight. Encourage us, Father. Move us to satisfy the calling that you have called us with, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. We sing that song typically. We didn't tonight. I wondered if we might or might not. Whatever, whatever the case, it's fine. We didn't sing that song about being a useful vessel. Uh, but we oftentimes do, Sunday evenings or Friday nights. Um, uh, I want to be a useful vessel. Uh, in the, I never can come out with the lyrics from the pulpit, but you know which one it is. Like a vessel in the hands of the master potter. We're familiar with that illustration and that picture from Scripture of the master potter, the Lord himself shaping us and forming us into what he wants us to be, blessing us, cleansing us by the blood of Jesus, anointing us by the Spirit. And sanctifying us for a good work, we understand that we are called to a good work and that our life should be, in and of itself, an entirety of a good work. And that if we do as the Lord calls us to, we should intend to be useful to Him in whatever measure that might be. And that can be in a number of different ways that will be useful to Him. The Master Potter, a useful vessel, a tool in his hands purposed for whatever he desires for us to be. I'm not going to give you all of the potentials and possibilities and ways that God might use you because they're just numerous. They're countless. We can't come up with all of those ones. Certainly, we can't identify one by one by one. But what I am confident in and sure of is that he knows He keeps track of the things that he wants from you, the uses he has for you. He keeps track, he keeps record, and he maintains those records. I like the example we see, if you turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 9, the example that we see in those Levites that are assigned and appointed their respective jobs, roles, positions, purposes, and work to do in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. And on a lot of different levels... We see that example for us, this truth that the Lord keeps track of those things just in this one little section, this one little faction of the Levites that we read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 28. Just jumping right into the middle, just speaking of these specific ones, they were appointed for the record and the care and the maintaining of vessels and utensils in the temple. It says, now some of them were in charge of the serving vessels. For they brought them in and took them out by count. Now, evidently, these ones kept track of those utensils and vessels, bowls, spoons, censers. You know, there are a number of different tools and items that were used in the service of 
the priests and the temple duties and the tabernacle duties. And these ones, it seems clear that they were in charge of those things. They kept a record of these things, and that meant that they would understand what each tool was for, what each implement was for, what each utensil was for. They would record and maintain the numbers that were required. The Lord was detailed, orderly, in what he desired for his worship in the temple and the tabernacle before it. They would have understood the functions of it. They would have understood the needs and how to replace those things, how they would be preserved, how they would be maintained, so on and so forth. And as I've sat and thought about this, this job that they had and their specific purpose, as well, as mundane as it might sound, I thought of my own kitchen cabinet and how much I, well, like when it's orderly and you open it up. Now, everyone has their junk drawer where nothing matches anything. You just throw in all the stuff. And sometimes we have mismatched glasses and cups and that sort of thing. But we like when we buy bowls and dishes and they all match and they all sit nicely in the cabinet there's a measure of order that's there bowls stacked on each other next to each other and there's something very satisfying to me when we have it orderly and it's in line and there's nothing disheveled or mismatched or anything like that and so i think about these bronze bowls and cups and gold and silver spoons and earthen vessels that might have been present those sorts of things that these ones were given to record and understand and knew them by number when they were extracted and when they'd be put back, when they needed to be cleaned or when they needed to be broken, etc., etc. And I think about that, those different vessels, that there would be order in those things. Uh, And despite the variety that was present, the differences in those different vessels and utensils, they all had that same purpose, and that was to honor God in worship, to honor God and glorify God in service to Him. And... Those ones who were given to oversee those vessels and oversee those utensils, I imagine if they were worth their salt at their jobs, that they would have protected those things, would have protected those vessels, would have understood them, certainly broken and and gotten rid of the things that needed to be getting rid of and replaced when they needed to be replaced. But it says that they knew them by count, knew them by number, knew that this is a stack of bowls, this is a stack of spoons, this is a stack, you might say, these things lined up and orderly and recognizing when it's not in the appropriate place. There's a certain symmetry that would be present there as they looked at those things and maintain that order if they wanted to be good at that, um, at that job. And so I thought about that symmetry. And I thought how, well, again, satisfying that is, and how beautiful it is. And it took me to uh, Arlington Cemetery, if any of you have not been there, I encourage you, if you find yourself on the east side of the country, go there. It's, it's an impressive, rather sobering place. But if you're not familiar with Arlington Cemetery, it's where, well, they have military people, uh, past soldiers who have died, certainly not all of them in battle and the, and the like, but they're recognized there and they're buried there. And if you talk about symmetry, if you've ever stood in the middle of those places where each headstone Almost all the headstones look exactly identical. There are a couple of outliers here and there. But you can stand in one spot, and in all directions, it's as entirely symmetrical as it possibly can be. No matter the topography, and it's rolling country that's out there, and you see they are lined up in line, in order. I mean, certainly this way and this way, but even going this way, I mean, they have them all distanced and spaced out, and it is remarkable how symmetrical that it looks. Now, each one of those gravestones seems identical as you stand away from it. You look at it and you're like, there's nothing that separates one from another. 
And you recognize that the honor isn't honoring the individual. That the honor is that the individual is placed in the middle of this incredibly impressive, symmetrical body of honor. Does that make sense? Just the fact that you are an individual in the middle of this place that is so meticulously cared for, so meticulously addressed and, and kept and all of that, there's just the honor of being a part of that, even though it doesn't seem as though you're very individual in those things. It's about being an individual in the part of something greater, as cheesy or corny as that might sound. There's an honor in being buried in that place, honor found just in being there. Saints, there's an honor in being, well, in the symmetry and in the unity, if you will, of the body of Christ. As we each look a little different, as each one of us presents our own natural personalities, I guess, each one of us definitely are called to our own respective roles and places and that sort of thing. We all have different circumstances and life details and all of that. But when we operate the way that we are intended, we are part of a symmetrical thing that is the body of Christ. If you look at me, I have a bunch of different parts. My ear looks different than my nose, looks different than my fingers. But I'm a pretty symmetrical body up here. A pretty orderly, you understand what it is. And there's symmetry and there's unity there. Now, we understand there is individuality as believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Paul says, in fact, the body is not one member, but many. We understand that. It's not just, not just one conglomerate, homogenized piece of just cheese that you cut through, and it's the same thing through and through. We understand this. In verse 18, he goes on to say, but now God has set the members, each one of them individually, in the body just as he pleases. And it pleases him to place individuals with individual personalities and individual roles in the body. But the purpose for each one of us, overarching, the overarching, entirely symmetrical and same purpose for each and every one of us is the same as those vessels in the temple. It's to honor God in service to Him. And whatever role that is, and there's an absolute unity that's to be found between all of us. Well, as we're joined in that purpose there, we honor the Lord in that unity. We come to, well, identify and be transformed into the Lord Jesus' image with this Christ-focused unity. Don't forget, when he talks about those individuals in 1 Corinthians 12, he led off in verse 12 where it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. You know, some people would find Arlington Cemetery symmetry bland, would find it unimpressive, uninteresting. And you know what? I did some good stuff, so I want a personalized memorial. I don't want to look like everyone else's. I want to have, you know, perhaps you've seen some of these rather lavish and, well, kind of odd funerals that they're having sometimes, you know, propping people up on their motorcycles and having them sit at a table and that sort of thing, to sit in state, I guess you could say, at a, at a dinner table. It's interesting. And then they have all these decorations all over their grave. Whatever. Whatever suits you, that's fine. But, well, others appreciate being part of something bigger. Others appreciate contributing and finding contribution and honor to themselves of being part of this large, unified, symmetrical, honorable place. 
Sometimes people don't want to be a cookie-cutter Christian, so to speak. Sometimes people don't want to fold in. They want to be a little bit different. So they might do this to step out of the Christian norm. They might do that to step out and be an individual. They might perhaps want to make waves a little bit or just approach the edge or just disrupt the status quo or what's been accepted as the status quo. Don't misunderstand me. A lot of what's Christian status quo I think is garbage. I'll be honest. A lot of what's accepted and says, this is how Christians are intended to be, what they're intended to do, how they're intended to think, what they're intended to vote, etc., etc. I think that those things don't carry much weight. But sometimes we do step out of the status quo simply because, well, because we're focused on something other than, what was that? Honoring God in service to Him. Sometimes we look inward a little bit and we just want to have our own a little bit more personalized situation. Saints, that oftentimes when our motivation isn't to wreck the wrong, unscriptural status quo, but we're just looking to step away from the godly, scriptural, established, biblical status quo, what we're putting the focus on ourselves and not on the Lord where it belongs. The Levites, I don't believe, looked at a nice stack of Bronze spoons, perhaps. Just go with that. And said, mm, let's take this one here. And I'll just bend this handle. And then try to stick it in there and see how it sticks all cockamamie in that stack of spoons or shovels or whatever the case might have been. They didn't just do it arbitrarily to wreck the status quo because it would affect everything else in that stack. There was a purpose for it. There was a purpose for maintaining those things. And in honoring our interests first and in trying to bend things just a little bit, just to shift the status quo, then we detract, well, we avoid and pull the honor from being where it's intended to be, on Him and on His purpose, and we put it on ourselves. And what happens when we well, step aside from the honor we're intended to have. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that being dishonor, back in our passage in 2 Timothy 2, says also there are those vessels of honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. It's an immature thing to lay hold of those dishonorable things that is a me-centric, me-first my interests primarily type of situation. And Timothy, well, Paul tells Timothy the same. In verse 22, he says, Flee also youthful lusts. Youthful lusts involve our own interests. It's an immature thing to focus on ourselves. To not look at our lives with Christ-colored glasses, as I say often. To look at things for our own purposes. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, those with a shared interest in serving and honoring God in their purpose and their lives. Avoiding foolish and ignorant disputes or questionings or controversies, even those controversies we would start for ourselves just to shift the status quo, as it were, knowing that they generate strife. Saints, God doesn't demand that we're plastic. He doesn't demand that we're just cheese looking the same through and through. He does command our respect. He doesn't demand it. He commands it just by being the Almighty God. He wants us to honor Him because it's for our benefit. He wants us to be humble because it's for our benefit. He wants us to be thoughtful to Him and His ways because it's for our benefit to serve and honor Him and not put our own 
misguided needs before his. He wants us to look at things with Christ-colored glasses. And if our desires and our actions and our purposes, our relationships, our activities, our hobbies, are approached not in just, well, this is a little bit different than what the Lord would have me to do, but you know what, i got to have a break from time to time. No, if we look at things and see, how is the Lord involved here? If He's not, leave it alone. But if He says, I've given you liberty to, for this, and you can find how the Lord can use even those recreational things, those simple things, those sometimes quiet and peaceable things. You can actually have relationships, have hobbies, have recreation. That reflects the Lord as He's the overarching purpose for us. He doesn't want us to have an unfun life. He doesn't want us to have just a stodgy, buttoned-up collar, plastic, faux, pious, what other adjectives can I put in there? Christian walk. He wants us to be alive and vibrant, and that is found in serving Him in everything that we do. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Those other ones who are stacked along with you, don't bend your handle just so you might be just a little bit different because when you're bent, then well, other ones have to accommodate around you, don't they? And it affects the order that God is trying to establish in His useful vessels. Don't simply satisfy an itch just so that you might do something different and serve yourselves. Saints, we seek His glory first. When we seek His glory first and we're unified in purpose, unified in the body of Christ, then we find ourselves blessed and being a blessing to those who are around us, those who are serving with us. We can all be useful vessels in the service of the Master, prepared for every good work. Look at all things through Christ-colored glasses, and when He approves and gives liberty, rejoice in those things, and if He doesn't, let them go. Don't just serve to shake up the status quo just because we have an itch to scratch. Serve the Lord in all things and help your brothers and sisters to do the same.